Hello, I'm Oliver Wang. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, you know, a banger, arson, fire. Today, we'll be deep diving together into the 1993 New Jack Swing album, Intro by Intro. Yeah, that's fire in the background. And that's from the self-titled debut album from the band intro that came out April 6th, 1993 on the Atlantic label. Certainly its release was part of the changing tide of R&B music. Songs had become up-tempo and brothers had exchanged suits for Tims and jeans and swag. And while the style was meant to be hard, the lyrics and the buttery vocals were not. Jeff Sanders, Buddy White, and the late great Kenny Green emerged with a slew of number one singles from this album, including Come Inside and What You Just Heard, and an amazing cover of Stevie Wonder's Ribbon in the Sky. Kenny Green, already a master lyricist and arranger, brought his A-game on this album, and because of that, this album intro is a heat rock. To talk about intro self-titled album, we invited Fonte, the hip-hop impresario who got his start with Little Brother before going on to quarterback the future soul group, The Foreign Exchange, alongside producer Nicolay. They were Grammy-nominated for their 2008 album, Leave It All Behind, and their latest offering is a compilation of fire tracks called Hide and Seek. Fonte, thank you so much for joining us here on Heat Rocks. Man, thank you for having me. This is, uh, this is an honor and a pleasure. I love it. Now, Fonte, I figured you would pick a 90s album. I did not <laughs> think it would be this one. So tell us, why did you pick Intro's self-titled debut? Man, I just thought it would be um, a breath of fresh air. I thought it would be something uh, a little different to talk about. like Because I've done these kind of things before where people are like, okay, discuss one of your favorite 90s albums. And it's like... Nigga, how many times can I talk about Midnight Marauders, dog? Like I'm, like I love Midnight Marauders, like all love to you know to you know tip and fight and just oh my god, like those guys are my heroes. But nigga, it was other albums that came out. So um, <laughs> that was uh, that was kind of the thought. I was like, man, so what is an album that you know if, that I feel that I feel gets overlooked and something that doesn't get the the credit. And um, intro was one, you know what I'm saying? That that was that was one of them. And I was just like, yo, I I have to talk about this album. I mean, part of why I was surprised is you and I are, are more or less in the same generation. We're both 70s babies. I'm a little bit older than you. I think I was in my early 20s uh, in 93. But I was, you know, a classic golden era 90s head. And so the sound of something like intro, and I was listening to some of the Teddy Riley, New Jack Swing stuff from earlier in the, in the, in the decade. But by this point, like especially around 93, I would have... Again, I'm just speaking for me personally. Right, I right. was much, you know, much more into rocking stuff like Midnight Marauders, like early Wu Tang, like De La Soul, etc. A group like Intro just would not have been on my radar in '93. You were a little bit younger. Was this really part of your heavy rotation kind of artists and, and sound in that era? Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, in '93, so when this record came out in '93, I was 14. And so uh this was um this was like the summer I was getting ready to enter the ninth grade. And uh I remember that summer, um the the city I lived in, Greensboro, North Carolina, the city had given us they had like this program, it was called JTPA, which stood for 
junior technical. I can't remember what the fuck it was. But anyway, it was a program <laughs> that like it, it gave opportunity for niggas from the projects to like work and, and get money. So like it was a government program where we could, you know, you could work. And so uh, as a part of that program, they gave you a bus pass. Right. So you had a, a a bus pass that summer. You could ride the buses like for free. You know what I'm saying? You could ride the city bus. And so what that did, that gave me the opportunity to I could go to the record store. I go to the mall like mm-hmm. whenever I wanted and I could really explore. You know what I'm saying? And so um, I remember that when the album came out, I remember like hearing it. They were, you know, they were playing it in the store. And um, Love Thing, I remember Love Thing was the single, and I had, I think I maybe seen the video on BET like once or twice, whatever. But to your point about, you know, mixing the, um, you know, being into hardcore hip-hop at that time, I mean, I was certainly a hip-hop head, but the way they got me was the first single, Love Thing, it had the mm. Edie Brickell sample. So... To me, I immediately thought, like, man, it's dope that they singing over Slow Down. You know what I'm saying? Right. right like, right, so right. I, I, that was the connection I made. I heard Love Thing. And I was like, okay, Love Thing, this is kind of cool. I like this. But then when they came with Let Me Be The One, and I'm like, oh, shit, they sang over Slow Down. Now they about to sing Ooh. over Ed O.G. Like, oh, shit. Like, yo, get yo, I'm fucking with these niggas. So that was what it was, you know what I mean? I, they were singing over all the hip hop that I loved and they were doing it right. in a way that I thought was really tasteful and, and really unique. I definitely want to come back to those two songs. And in particular, Fonte, you're talking about the fact that Love Thing uses basically the same loop as Brand Newbie and Slow Down. And as you just mentioned with uh, Let Me Be The One, that uses the same sample loop as Ed O.G.'s I Got To Have It. I Got To Have It, yeah. And Morgan, you and I were just talking before we started taping about the differences between 80s and 90s R&B. And you you mentioned this in your intro a little bit, but could you elaborate a little bit more on what you saw as the main shift in the sound of R&B in that era? I think the main shift between uh, 80s uh, R&B and and 90s R&B was hip-hop. The introduction and the marriage of hip hop and R and B made the difference. For for me, I started to see it late eighties but early nineties. By the time we got to what's the four one one, which was nineteen ninety two, I was like, Ooh, okay. It was a difference in look, how mm-hmm. the look of people singing. Mary J was a different sort of R and B singer and I knew that things had changed. I think gone were like the candles and the soft lighting. Fonte can talk about the videos that they were on B E T then Brothers was looking, you know, soft and buttery, mm. you know, and real romantic in the background. Nineties R and B was different. You know, you could you could be singing uh love esque songs but be but be rugged. There was more of an up tempo vibe to, to R and B. I mean if we talk about nineteen ninety three, we're also talking about groups like Portrait. We're talking about shy. Silk. I think we're talking about yeah. low key. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we t- we definitely. But and and Jodeci was already singing with the open shirts and uh, talking about you know things like premarital sex. So you having my baby? You know, it was different. You know, we were singing about <laughs> sex out of wedlock then. So you're having my baby, and it means so much to me. There's nothing more precious. 
And so thematically it changed. And then also, too, I think the four you know, hallmarks of every, you know, black soul album then were things that we saw in the 90s. Intros, interludes, skits, and bonus singles. Black folks have to have those elements on all albums from the 90s on. I think that's the difference between, one of the other differences between 80s R&B and 90s. Absolutely, absolutely. Fonte, I mean, were you listening to the Teddy Riley stuff like uh, Redhead, you know, Redhead, uh, Kingpin, uh, Rex and Effects, oh, and man. some of the earlier New Jack Swing stuff? Oh, man, I was all over it. I was all over it. Because the, the, the thing was, you know, for me at that time, you know, I was a hardcore hip-hop head, and, you know, I love, you know, hip-hop, but, you know, I grew up in church, and so singing was a big part of my uh, musical background and my musical upbringing. And so my mother was a straight R&B head. Like, she just listened to, you know, Stephanie Mills, Teddy Pendergrass, uh, Luther. I mean, she was just straight, you know, kind of meat and potatoes R&B. And then my my uncle, my Uncle Broad, he was a big, like, funk jazz fan. So he would play, like, a lot of Stanley Clark, George Duke, um, a lot of, um, like, he was big uh, Daz. uh, Ah, God, what's the record? Uh, Daz by Brick, like... Yeah, right, right. Yeah, you know, a lot of stuff like South Soul Records, Compilation, Instant Funk, I Got My Mind Made Up, like all those kind of records. So there was a big dance element as well. So coming up, when I was coming up, like, you had to be able to dance. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the era of, and I think, and I think, Morgan, you know, you made a very good point. Like, this was coming up in the time when R&B became something that was very danceable, and you had to be able to move. I mean, it was, you know, like, Heavy D was my inspiration, because I was always a chunky kid. Like, I was always, like, a man of husk, and and, and a child of husk, you know what I mean? But, but like, you had to be able to move, though. Like, Heavy D, he was, like, my inspiration. I'm like, yo, he big. Big, but he moving, he dancing, he right. doing all this shit. I was like, yo, I fuck with him. Like, I'm a big dude, but I'm still you know, heavy on the scale, but I'm light on my feet, goddamn. So that was my thing. So <laughs> when it came time for the R&B and, you know, with the, with the music... All that New Jack Swing stuff was right down my, it was right down my alley because it spoke to every part of my childhood. You had the R&B and gospel vocal arrangements and you had tempos that you could dance to. So a record, like all that, you know, Teddy Riley, Rex in Effect, um, you know, even though like Cube, um, Ice Cube came and dissed them on America's Most Wanted. I'm all that's dancing. I'm sick of that shit. Like. I ain't give a fuck about that. I loved Ice Cube, you know what I'm saying? I still, but I was like, when people started dissing New Jack Swing, I was like, look, man, y'all know what the fuck y'all talking about. This shit is funky. We dance to it, and it sets my family reunions off. So fuck y'all mad-ass rapping niggas. This shit is dope, and and I'm still dancing. (laughs) It's funny, too, because this just makes me think of one of the, a big surprise to me when I learned about it many years later, and we were just talking about Tribe earlier and talking about Midnight Marauders, but I didn't realize, and I think I might have talked this on 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 another one of our episodes, but... um, Q-Tip took the drums uh, for, uh, for uh, a award tour, yeah. which, of course, was the, the lead single off of Midnight Marauders. That came off of Jade's Don't Look Away. Yeah, so, it, was, it was Don't Walk Away. Yeah, we, we interviewed uh, Q-Tip uh, a while back on, uh, on Quest Love Supreme. And he, yeah. it was the the baseline. Is that what it, it was? The baseline, okay, not the drums. Yeah, the baseline from Don't Walk yeah. Away. He heard it in a club one night and was like, oh, man. 
so that's what inspired him to make a war tour. So, you know, and, and again, that was an album, Jade to the Max. That was 92, I want to say. Or was it 91? I can't remember. I think I want to say it was, maybe it was 91, 92. But, but, um, but yeah, that was just another example of just someone that could be into hip-hop. But the R&B at that time, it, it spoke to us. You know, the aesthetic of it, uh, it, it really resonated with us. And I think one of the reasons why uh, Kenny Green and some of these arrangements were so typical of the music of that time was because he had already put in work, certainly with with uh, Mary J. Blige, because he did Reminisce. I think he was one of the mm-hmm. chief arrangers on Reminisce. Um, he had done Give It To Me, SWV's Give It To Me. He had worked with Father MC. Um, and he also wrote Love No Limit. So Which is had, one of my favorite Mary songs to this ooh. day. Love No Limit and uh, and You Don't Have to Worry off the, um, off the Who's the Man sound. We keep talking here about the relationship on this album in particular. Um, you know, we were just mentioning about how the first two singles, uh, which are also the first two songs on the album, use well-known hip-hop samples from about two, three years prior to when this album came out. So my confession is I had never heard this album until, you know, Fonte, you picked it. So I, I sat down with it. And those those first two tracks, those two first two singles, I'm like, okay, I I get what they're doing here. It's like, uh, you know, what's the four one one by Mary J. Blige? Mm-hmm. They're 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 singing over hip hop tracks. But then after those first two songs, they don't. It, I could be wrong. They don't do it again. The nah. rest of the album doesn't do that, and it sounds much more like a whatever conventional means in you know ninety three. But it just sounded like a straight up R and B album. And it's like, all right, we lured you in. Now we're going to stop doing that and give you something else completely different, which I thought was really surprising, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they had to put the medicine in the applesauce. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, For sure. That was one of the things, like, with that record, you know, and, and, and another reason why I hold that record in such high regard is just because they, to me, were one of the first R&B groups to get up-tempo and mm-hmm. down-tempo records, like, completely right they got the up-tempo right and the ballads right if you look at any other record i don't care jodeci or gods to me i will ride for jodeci forever but both of their albums the first two albums they kind of got it together by the time they did the show at the hotel but those first two albums fall the fuck apart after side a <laughs> like it's a rap nigga like because they up-tempo joints was not hitting. They didn't really mm. master right. the danceable right. joints until the Showdown's Party Hotel. Like, Forever My yeah. Lady, side A, bonkers. Diary right. of a Mad Band, side A, bonkers. Side B of them shits, no, nigga, that's not what it is. So with <laughs> intro, I thought it was just so dope that they, because like you said, I mean, I bought the album, I was 14, and this is before like listening stations or you could sample or whatever. So I went into the album blind, you know, just like, you know, anyone else would. So the first two songs is like, okay, I heard the first two singles. What else y'all got? And so then when they got to track three, anything but you, I was like, oh my God, like mm. this is still dope. Like, and it just kept being dope. Like it never let up and it was consistent. You know what I'm saying? So that consistency, man, alone is why I think it's just such a, a underrated and, and underappreciated album. It's 
it was just a, a good song. I mean, it was a great vocal performance. Um, the, the, the drums were still hard. Um, a great pre-chorus. Baby, you know that I, you know I give you the world. Like, that was just, you know, it, it, it had structure, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and that was, to me, why I just thought Kenny Green was just one of the unsung heroes of, of R&B, you know, God rest his soul, but it was just a well-written song, and that, to me, has always been a, um, has always been just a kind of a, a guiding principle in my career. Like, I'm a fan of songs more so than I'm a fan of singers. If you can do both, if you can sing and songwrite, then, I mean, that's fantastic. You're, you know, you're on Mount Olympus, but a good song will always... <laughs> People remember the song. They don't necessarily remember the singer. So if you're doing all these vocal runs and gospel church runs and trills and all of that, I mean, that's fine. But if you ain't got a good song behind you, then all that shit don't really mean nothing. You know what I mean? So um, just the construction of the song. Great hook. Great pre-hook. Kenny would have like three, four different parts of songs. It almost kind of reminded right. me of like if you think of 80s R&B, if you think of D-Train. How like D Train yeah. would have like five with the love I have inside we we can turn like he <laughs> that nigga would just be hollering at you for like three minutes straight. It's like dog, this shit still ain't over, dog. You still hollering, nigga. So, <laughs> so it reminded me of that, <laughs> and that was dope. <laughs> I'm glad you bring that up, man, because a question that I've had since '93 has been like, is Kenny Green's voice are his vocals just that distinct so distinct that those other two brothers blended in the background or was Kenny Green in fact singing lead and background vocals and just brought his brothers along yeah I, I would I would bet that it's probably the the latter of of those two <laughs> scenarios um I know I, I know on well we'll get later into it but I think on one of a kind love I think one of the guys I think buddy is maybe singing the intro on that but uh yeah, it sounds like him. It sounds just like all Kenny. So, uh, you know, I, I, I can't really tell. I mean, one of the songs for me, which made me ask that question, is Come Inside. Yeah. I don't hear anybody but Kenny on Come Inside, <laughs> which is a jam. I want to hear that right now. Run it. One of the things that I liked about Come Inside was I knew that it was sexual. I knew that it was sensual. Oh, is it? <laughs> oh, it is very sensual. On the it, on the album, is. they even have the 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 moment of the coming inside uh, mm. that goes on like way too long and gets very uncomfortable. Hello. Right, <laughs> and, and I couldn't listen to the whole the whole thing. Wait, Morgan, was this one of those albums that you had to sort of sneak around your family? You know, that's just what ha had to happen. But I was able to when you started it out like mid mid song, I could kind of get away with it in the car much more so than I could like Silk. Because mm -hmm. nothing that Silk did, my mother was like, "Wait, what is this? <laughs> what?" <laughs> because Silk I'm was like blatant. Silk was like 
Let me lick you up and down till you say stop. Like, there's no ambiguity in that. Come inside could mean a bunch of different things. It could mean let me yeah, come inside your house. Yeah, he just wants to hang out in your crib. Yeah, That's let all. me come inside your church. I'm coming to the. That's I'm it. coming to eleven o'clock service. That's you know what it. I mean? it could be interpreted. And a lot I was different counting ways. on that on that semantic ambiguity because my mother was like, "Nah, son, what's being played in the car, right?" Uh, because in 1993, when this album came out, I was a sophomore. At, at Clark Atlanta. And so all these uh, groups and that sound was, was precious to us because it was black folks. It was, uh, to me, part of the golden years of hip hop. And so, you know, those, those things were coming together and coming together, you know, quite nicely. What I liked about this album was, I think um, um, Oliver brought it up, but Soul Bounce also said that the album had two halves, you know, to your mm-hmm. point, the up-tempo da- side and the down-tempo side. And... That's what I liked about it. You couldn't categorize it as one thing. They weren't dancing too hard, but they also weren't moving too slow. And it's hard for me to separate um, this album from those two personalities, two distinct personalities, all love related. But um, talk a little bit more about lyrics. Oh, man. The lyrics of the record, like, they were very simple. I mean, it wasn't, you know, fucking Keats or Shelley, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, But, I mean, it was... There was a sincerity, I guess, that just came across into it. Mm. So, like, for me, um, uh, God, man, like, track four, which is uh, Why Don't You Love Me. Um, uh, why don't you love me the way that you used to? Tell me you don't. Tell me your love has not disappeared. just there were very everyman lyrics i guess you could say like they were very sure. um very you know plain and and direct but uh just the the vocal arrangements and harmonies and stuff just gave it i think a little bit more depth and more weight and so that to me was an example of uh as i got older and would look back on the record they just kind of reinforced the idea that a lot of times the most simple idea mm. is generally the best idea um you know, and I've heard Sting say uh, say something to that effect as well, but um, that was that was what the the lyrical side of the album represented to me. Just just simplicity. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Heat Rocks. Don't go anywhere. Every week on Inside Pop, we take turns recommending something great from the world of pop culture to each other. And in the month of October, we're going big, very big, with the Big Sell 30. Every day for 30 days, we're going to suggest some type of pop culture to check out. Things that may not be on your radar, but will be well worth trying. From TV to music to movies and more, the Big Sell 30 is as irresistible as a Jedi mind trick. As convincing as an Annalise Keating closing argument. And as seductive as Miguel singing a ballad shirtless and slightly sweaty. Follow us on Twitter at Pop Insiders for daily big sales and listen to Inside Pop every week for big sales from some special guests. The Big Sell 30 starts October 1st and runs every day of the month on Inside Pop. Hi there, I'm comedian and movie buff Ricky Carmona, and I'm excited to tell you about a new show I'm doing called Who Shot Ya? Join me, LA Weekly film critic April Wolf. 
I'm going to call Star Wars when it comes out the Clint Howard Project. <laughs> <laughs> Film reviews editor for The Wrap, Alonzo Duraldi. Everything Charlize Theron knows about killing somebody with a high-heeled shoe, she learned from single white female. Trust me. <laughs> and our dope-ass friends each week. The stunt guys were asking me, like, do you need a stunt double in here to, for, for you to skate? I'm like, no, no, I, I was on skates at three. So if you're tired of whack opinions and you're looking for a smart, funny film discussion show, check out Who Shot Your Son? That's what we do. And you can find us at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. But what's the fire track on here for you? What's the song that if you were to drop it off this album, you would get amped like no one could believe? Ah, man. If I had to say the fire track, like Come Inside was the single, you know, that's the one everybody knows. That was the hit. Uh, Ribbon in the Sky was, people know that one, because that was, I mean, it's a Stevie Wonder song, and right. they, like, covered the fuck out that shit, too. Like, they added their own spin to it, again, kind of with the D-Train thing. <laughs> like, he, they, <laughs> they added, like, this whole other kind of coda at the end. Ribbon in the sky. Like, that whole part, you know what I mean? That shit yeah. went on for, like, two and a half minutes. So, like, they put their own spin on it, which was dope. I, I thought it was dope that they didn't just go cover the song note for note without adding their own character to it. Um, I would probably say, if I had to say just the cut, the one that would make me lose it, if it dropped or whatever, it would probably be One of a Kind Love. That's track mm. nine on the, it's, it's the next to last song, if you had to take track nine, One of a Kind Love. I can be your pilot. Man, what? on man dude like that shit girl let me take you down to the sweetness the love that is yours and mine my 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 man shit what <laughs> Man, that motherfucker go. And then, like, at the ends, yo, again, he had the D-Train shit going on. So at the end, it just breaks down, and it's just them singing over and over. That's how we, that's how we, that's how we do it. For, like, two and a half minutes. Oh, my God, dog, that shit fueled so many bad decisions in my life. So many bad decisions I made to that record. So, like, if I had to say D-Cut... That would probably be it for me. But the <laughs> next one after that is a mean one, too, so I don't know. But I'll probably go with One of a Kind of Love. That was, that was the one for me. I got to ask this because you mentioned that, you know, you it was the second to last song on the tape. So I'm assuming you bought this album on tape. And, you know, this is the early 90s, so a lot of us were too broke to be able to get CD <laughs> players. Right. So cassettes were, was where it's at. Now, were you one of those cassette guys who would fast forward to just the tracks you'd want to listen to? Or did you just kind of sit through 
everything until it hits the end of side A and the odd reverse kicks in and right. then it goes the other way? Like, what, what, what kind of cassette listener were you? Yeah, I was, the, well, I was a lazy listener. So, like, mm. you know, I mean, you know, you, you come from that era too. So, like, rewinding and fast forwarding, like, that shit took work. You know what I mean? So, like, for me, right. it would take a lot for me to fast forward a song. You know what I'm saying? I would maybe rewind the song if I thought it's, if I was really right. digging. I would rewind all day. But fast yeah. forward, like, you had to really drop some fucking garbage if I'm expending... <laughs> If, if I'm expending the energy to get up and fast forward your record, like nigga, you that shit is that shit trash. So, I, so I, I so normally I would just let it play. You know what I mean? I just put the joint on and I just let it run. Yeah. So at the, on the time at that time, if you had the tape, the tape had ten joints, and so like you said, like most people, CDs were. Uh, a burgeoning technology at that time what the, the trick that they used to do they would put the bonus track on the cd and to yeah. this day like some of the most fire tracks were the bonus tracks so yes like sir. now if you go to if you go to spotify or itunes whatever like you can just buy the track outright but like for example on faith's debut album the bonus track on that album was reasons and Reasons is, like, the greatest faith fucking song ever. Like, that ever. shit. Oh, my God. And that was a bonus ever. joint. Yeah. So I was a lazy listener. I, I just listened through it unless you was whack. But I have to say, I hated when they did that, when they put the bonus track on the CD, because they're just trying to get some more money out of you, number one. Sure. Um, I think, I mean, that said, because I was a DJ then and I got vinyl, I usually had access to B-sides and instrumentals. So I figured it balanced itself out. Mm. But if you were just a straight up cassette listener, it was the worst of all worlds because they just were not going <laughs> to give you any of that bonus material. It, no, they weren't. And, I, and I, at the risk of sounding bougie, um, I actually had the CD. Um, I did have those ends, those ducats for the CD, so I bought it. And so the fire track for me ecstasy is, of love. is Ecstasy of Love. Man, come on. That's the Talk one. Talk about it. Talk about I it. I mean, come on. That is the one. First of all, the intro, you know, again, I was churchy, but I was like, I'm going to let this pass because I know that fire is forthcoming. Homegirls in here moaning, but it's okay. I'm looking past this um, because I knew that fire was coming. A lot of times I talk to some of my younger friends and they get really defensive about how sometimes I think singers of today don't finish strong. You know, mm. a lot of the songs are two minutes long, and, and it isn't how you start, it's how you finish. One thing that I liked about intro and Kenny Green is he was a closer. When you were tired, the song was so bomb, you were tired, he was still singing. He yeah. was still singing to the last shreds of the note. And nothing says that more than ecstasy of love. I mean, I think you made a great point. Not overly running, not overly churchy, but just... Yo, he just bodied the song. Yeah, nah, he did. He did. <laughs> it blew my mind because the thing was I had the tape, but then I went over my homeboy's crib and I think like he had the CD. Like his his people, you know, they had a little bit of bread. So 
his mom <laughs> had, like bought him the CD or whatever. And I was like, oh shit, it's a bonus joint on this? And I just went straight <laughs> through it. And yeah, Ecstasy of Love, that shit was hard, Ooh. man. That was a hard record. And I you mean, have the intro. It starts like, out so romantic. A moment in your arms. It's more than what it it's seems. More than, more than, than I've ever felt. Good Lord. More than I've ever dreamed. So now that I'm here with you, I want you to know you got me wide open. Wide and open. And I'm about to let you know. God. Love your gentle touch. I love your gentle touch so much. Things you say Ooh. to me. The things you say to me. Kiss and warm embrace. Your kiss and warm embrace. That's all I need. My ecstasy of love, nigga. That's in Philippians, nigga. I swear, it's it's in that shit was written in Deuteronomy. I'm telling you, that's dog. what I told that's my the, mother. That's gospel, nigga. That is a great song. And the thing about CDs was you could put things on repeat, and yep. that was the jam for me that stayed on repeat. How about the sleeper jam? What's the, what's the track off this album that people don't give enough love to? I would say the sleeper is so many reasons. The the closer on the tape, mm. if you had the tape. So many reasons why I need you by my side. Your loving is real. I need something I can feel. So many reasons why you and I share Like that to me is the definitive way to close an album you know what I'm saying I always feel mm. like an album should end kind of on a sense of kind of melancholy like you hate that it's over but not overly sad like like you don't necessarily want to end with the song about your mom or some shit like I mean if you want to write a song <laughs> about your mom but that's cool but to end the song about like oh I miss my mom or as some R&B singers do like they sing about fucking for tracks one through nine and then track ten is right. about Jesus you know what I mean like right. it, you know what I mean they try to end right. on the spiritual notion I know I've been fucking bitches raw for the first ten tracks of my album but on track eleven I give props to my father my lord and savior for it is him through whom these blessings flow and thank you for bringing me these bitches like you know what I mean that's the yeah, like that shit you know what I mean so you don't want to go too far with it but with so many reasons, that was just an example of a song that just had that feeling of like, man, it's over. And it was just such a, it was mm. an upbeat song and it was danceable. And it was just, it's just a gorgeous song, man. And like, I remember seeing it. Um, they, they did an episode of Teen Summit. Like, just, I'm really like dating oh, myself wow. right now. Right. Wow. Right. So <laughs> Teen Summit had an episode where they had like the black, prom or something like it was some like the the little prom for like the teens and shit and intro was performing on there and so mm. i remember that that particular episode they performed so many reasons and like i remember seeing the people the couples dance to it and stuff and 
it just kind of it hit me. Then I was like, wow, like this is this is a dope fucking record. You know what I mean? And and it just it kind of clicked right there for me to see it in that context. So um yeah, so many reasons is a sleeper for me. It's just a great song and um a, a great way to end an album. You know, I'm surprised you picked that one. I was sure I was willing to bet money that you were gonna pick "Don't Leave Me." Yo, that's another one. I like that one too. <laughs> That you wanna turn and walk away All of my sunshine and happiness Turn to rainy days How could you be in love so strong And throw it all away You promised to love me Never to leave me Forever and a day Sometimes I feel that that is such a jam. Yeah, yeah. Come on now. <laughs> we were we were in love, and now you tell me that you, you want to turn. You want to turn away. and walk away. All of my sunshine, all my sunshine and happiness, turn to rainy days. How could you f- be in love so strong and throw it all away? Promise to love me and never to leave me forever and a day. That was a, the '90s lyric, like forever and a day. I don't know what kind yeah. of like codependent shit that was about, but like. <laughs> Like nigga, I gotta love you forever and a day. Like and a day, I gotta serve life plus twenty years. Like how the fuck you do that? Yeah. Like so, but that was R and B. That was the nineties. Like niggas was crying if they girl had been gone for an hour. So that was what it was. Right. I think I think these days the equivalent would be I want to be with you long enough that legally you can have half of mine if we if we break up. Like it's, it has to be ten years and that's that's forever. You know that's long enough. Or just tonight. Commun- <laughs> just for tonight. Yeah, today's R and B is definitely much more uh is much more on a case by case basis. It's like <laughs> there's definitely a waiting period with today's R and B. It's like look, y'all look, y'all come with a thirty day warranty and we're gonna try this shit out and if it don't work, I'm carrying your ass back to the store. I gotta know what what's what was it like listening to the album again, like in, in prep for for this talk with with me and Oliver. What was it like listening to it again? Oh man, uh, listen to it again. It just took me back, man. You know, just it just took me back to that time. Uh, you know, being you know a kid, being thirteen, fourteen years old, and so that's on. That was when I was on the verge of you know you know talking to girls, and you know you're in high school, so. That's when that element of your life as a young man starts to come into play. And so, um, you know, back in back in those days, like, you know, how you mentioned all the R&B groups, um, you know, you you had to have, you you know, you you couldn't just text somebody or you couldn't just send, you know, um, you know, emojis or some shit. Like you actually had to talk to a chick, you know what I mean? (laughs) So like and in order to talk, you know, in order to Mac, you had to have your macking music. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so I would make my Mac music. I would make my Mac tapes. Like, so I might have, you know, my intro, my Silk, you know, my Jodeci. I would just make, like, my slow jam tapes because that was my cake music. That was the music I would listen to while I would be on the phone, you know, caking with the girl. Like, my voice had dropped, 
you know what I'm saying? My voice actually dropped probably when I was like seventh, eighth grade. So like, you know, I'm ninth grade. I'm, you know, it's after football practice. I didn't, you know, bust down a little homework, whatever. So I'm on the phone sounding like goddamn Don Cornelius and shit. Like, hello, it's, <laughs> it's Keisha Home. May I speak? Who the hell is this? Oh, tell her that Fonte's calling. I'm, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I got my intro in the back. Nigga, life is good. So it just sure. took me back to that period in my life where I was uh, just trying with all my might and unsuccessfully trying, I might add, to get laid. <laughs> this feels like a really awkward transition, but I want to come back to <laughs> I want to come back to Ribbon in the Sky, and um, partly because I mean it's ballsy to take on such an iconic Stevie Wonder song, right? And they're they're doing it. So Fonte, I'm wondering for you if you had to take a song off of that intro album and either cover it or remix it, what is the one that you would be willing to fiddle with? Um. I would probably say It's All About You, which is the last song on track, or on side one. It's All About You. Like it's again the hip hop reference. It's got the impeach drums in it, uh, the impeach the president, mm. honey drippers. Um, it has that, so it kind of kicks on. But it was very, um, it was very like fast and kind of hokey. Um, the example I can give, the best thing I can think of uh, when you talk about Stevie covers, me and or Nicolay and I, we covered "If She Breaks Your Heart" by Stevie Wonder, which was a song <laughs> that was on the Jungle Fever soundtrack in '91. And uh, it was a song that I always loved as a kid. Like my my uh, mother, the guy she was dating at the time, my stepdad, he would play um, all those songs. He would play that album. And so I always remember hearing that record and just loving that record and, and just listen to it. And so then as I got older, you know, Stevie's like late 80s, early 90s catalog, it didn't age that well, but I think it had more to do with the instrumentation and the tempos and mm. just the cheesy bass lines and shit. I mean, those are just production hallmarks of that time. So I was right. just like, me and Nick, I was like, yo, man, this is a great fucking song. If we could just slow this down, give this shit a little bump, like this could be dope. And so that was the idea with us covering If She Breaks Your Heart. So to that end, I would say on this album, It's All About You. I think it's a cool song. But I would slow it down, maybe make it a little less hokey and uh, just give it a little more groove. It was just kind of, yeah, it was just kind of kind of hokey, I, I think. Uh, that's the best way I can describe it. If they slowed down a little yeah. bit, I think it could work better. We always ask this of our guests um, about the albums that they choose. If you had to describe intro in three words, what would they be? Ah, oh, man, if I describe intro in three words. Um, this album. Oh, man, I would say it is, man, soulful. I guess that's obvious. It's soulful. Um, it's beautiful. And it's um, 
It's, I would say it's timeless. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's one of those things where I think it's an album that you can hear. It wasn't a had to be their album. I mean, certainly some elements like the let me be and the, the love thing singing over the hip hop samples. Those were certainly, um, you know, trends of that time that you hear that and you can think, Oh wow. Okay. That was 1990s. But, um, just some of the other songs, you know, one of a kind love and, you know, exit like those records. I mean, I mean, listen, production trends come and go producers come and go. Uh, but the hallmarks of just a good song, a good vocal performance, a, a great melody. Those are things that, you know, last forever. And, uh, I think that record exemplifies that. I'm just so thankful that you picked this album. Um, I, I love any opportunity to talk about, you know, 90s R&B and <laughs> a chance to, chance to revisit the ghosts of, uh, relationships past. Oh, yeah. man. Uh, so, uh, so thank you. Night the '90s were were tough for your girl. You know what I mean. I had some some romantic highs and lows. You know what I'm saying. Well, I hope things thank God is better intro now. Intro was there I'll... for me. It's getting it's getting real in here right now. All right, hey, man. Hey, let's talk about it. Let's go in. <laughs> another show, brother. <laughs> that's another that's whole other podcast right there. <laughs> '90s love. Uh, well, that'll do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, Fonte. Thanks for coming in and talking to us. Tell us about your latest release. Ah, oh, man, the latest release uh, me and Nicolay have uh, put together is entitled Hide and Seek. Um, we uh, put this out uh, on the Real People Music label. Our buddies, mm. uh, my man Ali uh, out in London, shout out to him. This was just a record that we put together. We wanted to showcase some of the stuff that we were listening to, some of the artists that we really dig and, you know, shine a light on artists that you know, have not been, you know, haven't received a lot of exposure as of yet. And uh, we also put a new song of ours on there entitled Shelter. Um, that's like the newest thing we've created. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of fresh out the oven. So that's on there. Um, man, me and DJ Spinner got a record on there. Gwen Bunn, nice. uh, Tamisha Waiton, uh, she's on there. Ooh. Carmen Rogers and Piranha Head, uh, Musina, Brittany Bosco, mm. well, just Bosco. It's it's a lot of um, you know, soul uh, artists and um, yeah, man, uh, Bilal and uh, Leron Thomas role play. I fucking love that record. So yeah, hide and seek uh, the foreign exchange. It's uh, out now everywhere. So uh, yeah, go check it out. And where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're up to? Ah uh, man, y'all can find me uh, on Twitter and Instagram uh, at Fontigolo, P-H-O-N-T-I-G-A-L-L-O. Uh, you can hit me there. You can hear me, um, of course, on my home site, theforeignexchangemusic.com. That's where everything Foreign Exchange and, and me as well is on there. Uh, you can hear me every week on Questlove Supreme uh, with my big brother, Amir, Bossman uh, Thompson, called Questlove. We're every week on Pandora, Wednesdays at 1, um, and you can just check us out there. You can hear me upcoming on The Breaks. Uh, for on BET, uh, I write all the rhymes uh, for that show. You hear me on commercials doing voiceover stuff. Uh, it's kind of hard to not hear me, so I'll be working, man. I'll be working. <laughs> You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wang, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One, 
of people under the stairs. Shout out to Fess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself, Morgan Rhodes, and Nick Liao. And today's show was engineered and edited by Nick. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the historic Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Heat Rocks Pod. You can find a link to our Facebook group on our webpage, HeatRocksPod.com. That's where we'll post show notes for every episode, including a track list of everything you've heard today and more goodies. Again, that's at HeatRocksPod.com. Good to see you all. Good to see you too, morning. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.